Hey, this is Chris Grau, a.k.a. Loser, and you are listening to the Talking Records Podcast. Talking Records Podcast, Talking Records Podcast, Talking Records Podcast, we talk about our favorite records, Talking Records Podcast, we're so glad you tuned in, thank you all for listening, you showed up to the right place, Jed and his friends, dive deep and analyze the records we have grown to love. We'll tell you how we found the band, then give you a track by track breakdown of all the songs. So grab your favorite beverage and pull up a seat. Today we'll look at another record in its entirety. Hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome to Talking Records, a podcast that brings people together to discuss great records. My name is Jed, and I am absolutely thrilled to be joined today by filmmaker, songwriter, and all-around ska enthusiast, Chris Grau. What's up, Chris? Hey, how's it going? Welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thanks. It's good to be here on the internet. It's great to have you. We were, we were talking earlier about, you know, this this community of ska enthusiasts. Yeah, I'm, I'm always prepared to talk ska. Uh, I, ska defines who I am as a person, and I will never turn my back on ska. Be sure to follow Talking Records on social media. We can be found on Instagram at Talking Records Podcast. We're also on Facebook, Twitter, and even YouTube. Give us a like or a follow, and we'll try to keep fresh content coming your way daily. You can also visit our website by going to TalkingRecordsPodcast.com. There you will find episodes, merch, and more. You can even drop us an email at TalkingRecords@outlook.com. These are all great ways for us to connect with you over all the great music we enjoy. We would love to get this podcast in front of even more music lovers, and you can help by providing us with a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you consume podcasts, as every review helps us reach more listeners. Thanks, everyone, and let's continue with the podcast. So, Chris, you have worked with Goldfinger, The Bomb Pops, No Effects, Bite Me Bambi, and recently Half Past Two to create music videos. How do you approach presenting songs through video? It's it's one of those weird things where what I do is a combination of an art, but also effectively a commercial. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. I, I try to make something that's good and that's like fun or or interesting to watch. You know, maybe has its own story its own point but also at the end of the day um serves the image of the band and makes people want to like the song more you know hopefully they want to re-watch the video hopefully they makes them you know get the song stuck in their head and, and like it so trying to balance those two things is, is always my war with myself right and so a video can oftentimes present new ideas and provide new imagery to go along with the song. And I, I, so I feel like a lot of times it can be really important to the promotion of the song to have a, to have a good video. Yeah. I mean, especially uh, like these days, like, you know, in a world where you get on the internet and there's just so much (laughs) uh, stuff coming at you, you need something that literally moves like, like just physically whether it's like an animation or, or a video or something um, to like get people to pause for a second and consider. And it's got to be something interesting that catches their attention and makes them want to know more. And so do bands often come in with ideas or do they leave that up to you or? Depending on how much I've worked with that band and how much trust we have with each other. Right. There, there are bands that are like, 
Chris, uh, we're, it's time to turn the crank again. Here's the song. Dance, monkey, dance. You know, like, yeah. <laughs> tell us what we're doing. And then there, there's other bands that, like, I, I mean, it, it runs a full gamut. Like, some people have, like, fairly complete ideas. And then other ones have, sometimes it's literally like, I don't know, but I have this outfit. And I, mm. I think this outfit mm-hmm. is good. <laughs> How can we use this? <laughs> yeah, but I mean, honestly, it's an important thing because... I mean, image, you know, is a big part of a band. It's it's an important thing. It it lets people know what kind of a person you are very quickly. But also, like, if your uncle has an airplane hanger, like, that would cost most other videos thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars Mm. to get. So if we can get it for free for you, we better damn well use it. Yeah, yeah. Using those resources. That's uh, Yeah, I hadn't thought of that. (laughs) That's always, like, thing one when I meet a band. I'm like... Who do you know? What do you have? What do you have access to that other people would pay a lot of money for? What was the most maybe surprising or most bizarre idea that a band ever pitched your way? (laughs) Usually it's the case where I've got the weirder idea and people have to tone me down. The weirdest video that actually got approved, but then because of scheduling and, and some conflicts, like it never actually got made. There was a real big fish video. Mm. Um, that I was supposed to do. I pitched this to them as my like out there idea, hoping that like that would like prepare them for something like a little less weird, but still probably yeah. weirder than they would want. It was for their Christmas album a couple years ago. I can't remember the name of the song, but some sort of Christmas song. And my video was going to be that the band is going around robbing houses, kind of like Home Alone, Sticky Bandit style. Yeah. And then one time they're in the house like doing all the robbing when like the family comes home and like a bunch of other family members too. And so then they just pretend like they were bringing the gifts that they were walking out of the house with. They're like, Oh, Hey, Merry Christmas. Right. (laughs) And they end up like being in this family party. Like they're the whole time they're just trying to like blend in, but also like stealing the silverware and like making off with the valuables and stuff. And like, the the dog ends up exposing them mm-hmm. uh, for what they're doing, and then the family turns on them, and then it just turns into this whole crazy like like they guillotine somebody, they put somebody on the rack, like you know they're like <laughs> just like medieval torture devices, and at the end there's going to be like a big turkey on the table, like sort of humany looking turkey with a Hawaiian shirt on it and, and checker sunglasses. And sideburns. Yeah, man. Oh, oh yeah. I feel like you got to make this video now, man. <laughs> oh, I want to make that video so bad. We were like so close to doing it. Uh, and then it was just like, it was all of a sudden it was like, oh shoot. Like when we had it scheduled, we picked up this fly out. We have to go do it. Yeah. And then, oh, and then we're leaving for tour and it just never happened. That's a bummer. <laughs> I, I did end up going on a real big fish tour and doing a, a music video for them. It was kind of like a live footagey style thing but yeah. man nothing nothing like the christmas medieval torture <laughs> that could have been yeah in addition to making videos you also make your own music recently you released growing up why can't i grow up guess it's just my luck feeling like a kid inside doesn't chance to coincide with Can you tell us more about your music? Uh, yeah, uh, I like video games too much, and uh, <laughs> that's pretty evident like... from the song. Yeah, 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a that's a little. Uh, if you've seen the video, you you know what I mean. Right. Yep. Yeah, and I like ska music, and there are people that are blending those elements. You know, uh, bomb the music industry use some occasional like um, uh, eight bitty kind of sounds, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, what do they call wabi sabi or something from Japan? They do like full chip tune that like has ska rhythms and stuff in it. Oh, that's cool. Um, yeah, I know there's I fight dragons. Yeah, I fight drag like that band is great. You know, mm-hmm. obviously like more on the pop punk side. I felt like there was kind of a specific lane uh, of that music that I wasn't hearing that I wanted to hear, um, and nobody wanted to do it. And I've been trying to do it for the better part of at least a decade. So I finally was just like, you know what? I'm just I'm just gonna do this myself. Uh, it sounds like fun. That's cool. Are, are there plans to release more songs, or is this it? Yeah, no, there's there's more in the pipeline. Um, there'll be stuff coming out uh, next year. I've got plenty more I'm working on. There'll be some fun special guests on upcoming songs. And I'm looking forward to it. I hope you are too. That's awesome. Well, you know, I feel like ska really lends itself to being available to be played in many different ways. I mean, there are so many different ways people are playing ska music. And so it was thrilling to hear your your track and you know the the bloops and the the eight bit sounds in there and uh you know it instantly took me back to all the video games of my my youth yeah no i mean like it's this interesting thing where obviously what i'm doing leans kind of nostalgia heavy but i'm i'm trying to make sure that i do it in a way that's that's new i i think the the last thing that i want to do is make music that's specifically old feeling mm-hmm. you know and yeah. as much as as much as i'm using like old technology and old sounds you know I'm, I'm trying to keep it fresh right all right chris well today we are going to dive into the specials debut album their 1979 or 1980 depending on which side of the pond you live on release the self-titled specials album It is one of those crazy records like like Weezer's Blue album or something where just like every song is a hit. Yeah. It's like a greatest hits. <laughs> yeah, no, honestly, it like it like is a greatest hits record and it's just a debut album. Mm-hmm. And it's crazy because like even if you don't listen to ska, if if you have like somebody that you know that's like, "Oh, what's ska? Oh, okay, sure. I I guess." Like you've still heard like at least half this record yeah. just from like movies and TV shows <laughs> yeah. or, or just being out in the world. And if you remotely listen to Sky, you have heard all of these songs. Released on October 19th, 1979 on band keyboard player, Jerry Dammer's two tone label, the album backed by Chrysalis records. Um, Chrysalis had wanted to sign the specials, but Dammer's arranged a label deal he wanted Chrysalis to fund 15 singles a year and release at least 10 of those. In addition to the specials, Two-Tone Records signed other bands like The Selector, Madness, and The Beat, but they all left within a few years of being signed to the label, which is kind of interesting. These bands signed a contract that allowed them to leave the label after releasing just one single, which was really unusual in the record industry, especially at that time. Beginning with Gangsters and then followed up by Rudy, a message to you, the band began by releasing singles on the two-tone label. As popularity skyrocketed for the band and the two-tone movement, 
the band began focusing on the best songs from its live show to record a full-length album. This is kind of starting to make sense as to why this record is all hits. Yeah. Because it was just, it's singles. It's a bunch of singles. Bunch of singles. And it's kind of like cultivated from the like the best of their live show. Like they knew it worked. You know, they'd played these songs live and they knew what songs were getting good reactions from the crowd. Right. Honestly, it's weird because this is kind of the modern way to make a record is yeah. like <laughs> drop a single, drop a single, drop a single. All right. Compile them into a record. Like, right. That's so interesting that they were doing that then at, at its at a time when every other band was just like, all right, here's a single bunch of filler songs, right. sell the record. Here's a single bunch of filler songs, sell the record. Yeah. In addition to original songs, the album would also include four cover songs and four reworkings of previously recorded songs by ska artists from the 1960s. The special's first album was recorded at TW Studios in London and was produced by Elvis Costello. According to Dammers, in The Two-Tone Story by George Marshall, Elvis Costello was just someone who liked us and wanted to do the album. He just came to all our bookings. No one else did. He said he liked us and he wanted to produce us. We all got on with him, and he got on with the job. The album features Terry Hall and Neville Staple on vocals, Linville Golding and Roddy Radiation on guitars, Horace Panther on bass, Jerry Dammers, the band's leader and chief lyricist, on keyboards, John Bradbury on drums, and guest musicians Dick Cuthel and Rico Rodriguez making up the horn section. Going into the 1980s, social conditions in England were very tense. The country had been on a long conservative streak with no end in sight. In opposition to the conservatism of their homeland, the specials featured a racially diverse lineup, leading the two-tone ska movement of the late 70s and early 80s. All right, Chris, so I want to know, how did you get into the specials? So I kind of came into them backwards from how you're supposed to, I think, um, I was a kid when the third wave of ska stuff was going on. So I first got into, yeah, like Real Big Fish and Less Than Jay, Goldfinger and all that stuff. Um, and then, you know, they were all talking about the bands that influenced them. And so I went back and, and looked it up. And full disclosure, like to be completely honest, when I first heard the specials and like Madness and a lot of the other era, like two-tone era bands, I didn't like it. And it's interesting because, like th like I said, this record is so good. All of these songs are hits. But I, I feel like there is a, there's a really weird energy on the record. Like, it's kind of slow. It's kind of empty. It's mm. kind of vacant. And other than, uh, like, Ghost Town, which, is that even on this record? No. <laughs> Not on this record. No. But, yeah, so, like... Like other than I guess other than that song, like most special songs, the recordings, I feel like are just kind of weird. And I didn't really like them until I saw and I'm trying to think of what the first like two tone properly two tone band I saw like and I, and I cannot think of who it would have been. But I know I saw the specials like in 2011. And once I saw it live, I got it. Like mm -hmm. it was faster. It was more fun. I understood like it was always hard for me to hear this stuff as, as dance music when it felt so like kind of weird. But then like when you hear it at tempo and the way they do it live, now it all makes sense to me. When I hear the records, I, I hear something that I like in it because I think it's referencing 
now what I've heard live. Right. Versus like versus there are other records where like you just you hear the recording and the recording itself is it just pops off like like Ghost Town does, you know, like mm-hmm. Ghost Town is so weird of a recording, but it's perfect. Right. And like you can't change it and you couldn't do it again. Yeah, it's really hard to capture that live energy on a record. And if yeah. you've ever watched any old videos of the specials around this time, I mean, those videos and the performances on those videos blow the record away. I mean, they're jumping all over the stage. <laughs> you know, yeah. Neville is bouncing back and forth. And it's just a, it's just so different. Yeah, like Terry sounds like he actually wants to be there. Yeah. Like it's so like it's it's so different. And like if if you go on like Spotify to listen to this record, it, it only has the like um, the like remaster version that has a bunch of live tracks on it, mm-hmm. which initially is weird. You're like, why is this record like thirty songs long yeah. or whatever? <laughs> but like, yeah, those those live versions, even though I mean they sound like live versions, and they're also not exactly what i'd want to put on but it gives you a sense of it because you're like oh yeah this song is like twice as fast as it is on the record (laughs) and it is like you catch some of that energy and like and it's it is a bummer that like you really you really do and i mean it's true of a lot of bands that like once you see it live like the recordings whatever state they're in are just triggering that reference in your head and so it all kind of works right you know yeah but but yeah so it, it is sort of the the great tragedy i think that these records like in a lot of records from this era just don't like jump off the wax you way the way you want them to mm-hmm. yeah i mean my story is very similar to yours in that i also worked backwards you know i got into punk first and then through punk got into ska and was at first more into the you know the punkier ska that was being played and then slowly kind of got into the more you know, two-tone stuff. And uh, yeah, work backwards. Found the specials because every band I was listening to thanked them and every band referenced them. Some bands even would quote them in their songs like Sublime and stuff like that. Would, yeah. Would grab lyrics here and there. And so when I finally came back to the specials, I just really got into it. I loved the sound. I loved like the English, like working class. You know, this was music that was saying something. And though, you know, I loved all those third wave ska bands, especially the more politically oriented ones, um, I found that I was really gravitating more toward these bands that had a message. You know, they were talking about world issues. They were talking about people's relationships with one another. And that stuff just kind of landed a little a little harder. And so I really got into this record. This record is an absolute classic for me. When uh, I started purchasing vinyl, it was one of the first records that I picked up. I was like, when I got it, I was like, I have it. You know, like <laughs> I've got this classic record and um, it's been an important part of my collection ever since. Uh, you definitely nailed it. I mean, like these songs are so well written. Yes. That like, like that is the timeless quality and they're, they're sort of infinitely like um, coverable and, and, and replayable you know what whether or not the production on this record and so like elvis what happened with elvis costello like why Mm. he's got records that are like alive and fast and fun like he 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 must have been the one that slowed him down right if he's the producer on this record i feel like there i've read things where even the band have said yeah he didn't quite really know how to capture our sound there's a lot of echo on the record where there doesn't need to be um i feel like they could have maybe 
yeah, I don't know. You know, I'm not a producer, so I don't really know like how a producer can capture what a band is doing. I know some producers do it wonderfully and I know some miss the mark. It sounds like every single track, they were like testing ways that they were going to make ghost town work. Mm, Yeah. Yep. All right, Chris, are you ready to break this record down track by track? Yeah. Let's, let's just shatter this thing on a zombie's forehead, you know? All right. (laughs) All right. First up a message to you, Rudy. classic absolute classic this is such a great song what a great start to the record this is a cover of the 1967 rock steady song rudy a message to you by dandy livingstone yeah like i mean it, it it's a cool way to, i mean obviously like you know they're kind of launching off a, a new sound so like it makes sense to kind of like harken back you know and like yeah <laughs> like a lot of the the third wave bands that like punked up versions of of uh two-tone songs you know it's like right. a clever way to be like okay here's what you know here's what we've done to it yeah uh if you like this keep listening and it fits right in with what you know their message because it's a song about social unrest amongst the youth uh in kingston jamaica right yeah. and then just they all got a little older and felt the same way in the uk right yeah well you know in in that time period and then again in the late 70s you know unemployment was so high oh yeah so you know when the original came out unemployed jamaican youth sometimes found temporary employment from sound system operators and what they would do is they would disrupt competitors dances which led to the term you know dance hall crasher which is pretty right. cool by the late 70s in multicultural Britain, the term rude boy had become associated with like street or urban culture. It was more of like a, you know, like a style. It was, um, right. 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 I like the line. So in the, in the song, they say, stop your fooling around time. You straightened right out. Better think of your future else you'll wind up in jail. So they're talking to the youth and sort of (laughs) giving them a warning. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, it's the, the same old thing that the, uh, that you always hear, you know, parents say, or yeah. the, it, like, like it, it's, it's that, that timeless, like, you know, back in my day, like kind of, yeah. Kind of guy. Absolutely. Unusually, there is no single lead vocal on this song. Vocalists Terry Hall and Neville Staples vocals are most prominent in the mix, but it's really a group message. And I guess it was like a peer group message. They all kind of sang it. It was almost like gang vocals, if you will. Yeah. Which is kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I hadn't, I hadn't thought about that, but yeah, you're right They're They all kind of shouted at you the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> it gives it kind of that like drunken bar sing along. Yeah. Yeah. Just smart. Definitely. And I imagine that live shows, they must've had the whole crowd singing it. Right. To- especially as a cover song. So like, no matter who you're playing in front of, if you're a newer band as they were at that time, like, like your audience is going to know it. Mm-hmm. Like that, that's a good idea. You know, and also like, like coming back to like what I do is it video stuff, but, but also as a musician, like, I feel like there's a strong, like um, monkey see monkey do kind of thing that, that we do with, um, with choruses mm-hmm. of songs, which like, yeah, the whole thing is very, sing-alongable so you know 
chorus or not, uh, you, you want everyone to sing along. So like one thing, one trick that we'll do in like music production is like, you know, yeah, you have a single vocalist through the verse, but then when you get to the chorus, when you get to the part you want people to sing along to, you have backup singers or doubles of the lead singer. So it sounds like multiple people are singing it, yeah. which makes you like want to also sing. It's like, <laughs> again, like this, that sort of like primate response of like, oh, all the other people are singing. I should be too. Yeah. <laughs> and like when I'm doing music videos too, one thing I'll try to hit is like, if there are the sing along parts of the song, whatever I'm doing with the story, I'll try to cut, to the singer singing those words uh. so that you see them opening their mouth and it increases audience retention of the uh, of the lyrics there. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, it sort of promotes that sing-along ability. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. It's like like you see somebody singing at you and, and like, like it's like when somebody yawns, like then you have to uh. yawn. Like, <laughs> you know, it's, it's like a psychological response. Oh, dude, you're going to make me yawn now. Yeah, no, exactly. I've talked about it. I've heard that. <laughs> So, Chris, interestingly about this song, trombonist Rico Rodriguez, who performed on many 50s and 60s Jamaican recordings before moving to London in 1962, played on the band's version of A Message to Yerudi, as he had on the original recording 15 years previously. So that's pretty cool. That is that is super cool. At that point, is it? Well, I guess it's just the trombone player. I mean, which is a mean thing to say, but like, <laughs> like you know, it's that question of like, is it a, is it a cover when you bring in the original? Yeah, it's a good question. Yeah, as a former yeah, member yeah. of the Scatolites, um, yeah. you know, a band that helped define the sound of ska. You know, his his appearance on the album, I feel like, considerably added to the album's credentials. You know. He gave the band respectability in circles that maybe would have written two-tone off as sort of like second, you know, rate plunderers. Sure. So, but yeah, yeah. You get, you get like the OG in there and it lends the, the credence that it needs. Yeah, no, that makes sense. All right, man, let's move on to the second song. Do the dog. This song always cracks me up. It's loosely based on soul artist Rufus Thomas's song, The Dog, which I don't know if you've heard that, but I mean, it's a loose, loose variation of it, but I know, I, I don't think I know it. Yeah. This song is a song that looks at all the various groups that fight with each other. You've got, you know, the punks versus the Teddy boys or the Teds as they, as they refer to them in the song who were the, you know, the first real like high profile rebel teenagers who flaunted mm-hmm. their clothes and attitude like a badge. You know, it's that, that mentality by the late seventies, they were older than the punks. And so, you know, they would like, they would fight with each other in, in, in pubs and stuff like that. Of course, then you've got the, the national front versus the natty dreads. The front was the, and continues to this day to be the far right fastest yeah, political yeah. party in the United Kingdom. Yeah. Um, no, nothing, nothing changed on that one. No. <laughs> The Natty Dreads is a Rastafari term for a member of the Rastafarian community. So, sure. you know, as you can see, as the song goes on, you have these various groups that are paired against each other, you know, with opposite ideology. And the specials are just like talking about this and and saying like these groups are just going to keep on fighting, keep on fighting, keep on fighting, you know, till they're dead, as they say in the song. 
and you're right. Like, like all the verses here are so directly political. And then you have just such a, like, this is kind of like a tone setter for like the, the ska. Um, I mean, of that time and, and to come really is that the, the chorus is then so goofy, like in isolation. Yeah. <laughs> you know, just that do the dog, do the dog, like not the donkey, like right. is so silly. Yeah. If you don't have the context of it, it, that's such a interesting like hallmark of of ska music is like say it and mean it but also make it a, make it a little tongue-in-cheek make it a little goofy yeah kind of dress it up as as fun i mean i feel like they kind of did that with a message to you you know you've got that that faux sure. polka intro with the harmonica that uh golding plays and you know the song sure. has got a playful tone this one kind of has a playful tone in the exchange between the two vocalists and it seems like the best method for presenting the message of you know, standing against the racially charged incarcerations between people in these, sure, these yeah. bars or out in the streets. One thing from a production standpoint that I is weird about this song and, and a lot of songs, I feel like I don't I, I can't think of like too many from exactly this era that had this problem. But there, there are other earlier songs, too, like um uh, oh gosh, there was like some Chuck Berry songs that, that would have this problem. So like in the chorus where you've got the like, you know, they're singing and then there's that sort of talk back yeah. response yep. part. Yeah. Just like a guy way closer to the microphone in a completely <laughs> different room, yeah. not treated the same. Like, like you're like listening to a song. Everything sounds like it's like, okay, it fits. And then all of a sudden this guy's just whispering in your do the dog. And you're yeah. like, what? What? Where is that guy? <laughs> this sounds so weird. And and, and like I, I know like there's like some Chuck Berry records where where that happens on it too. There's like a, a call and response thing, and like they clearly did it as like a, a, a separate recording and patched it in, and it just yeah didn't fit right. It doesn't sound mixed. It's, it's yeah. so weird. <laughs> it, yeah, it's so weird that it's it's like that on this because like you know I, i'm trying it's a little bit later but like like rock lobster has a lot of that mm-hmm. you know like mm-hmm. uh, the b52s did a lot of that kind of talk back stuff but like it all kind of jives you know yeah. they sound like they're in the same room <laughs> it's such a jarring don't be a jerk like what <laughs> yeah it's funny that you mentioned chuck berry because uh you know i'm not sure who plays the guitar solo following the chorus in this song uh, live videos show that it's actually Linville Golding and Roddy Radiation kind of trading off licks. But they always had, I know Roddy was a big 50s rock, you know, Chuck Berry fan. Their their guitar work had a lot of that f- sort of 50s vibe that Chuck oh, Berry. Yeah, all the, all the kind of bends and, yeah, and, and yeah. double stops and stuff. Yeah, totally. Like, and I mean, you get that vibe off of Roddy, too. Oh, definitely. Like he has <laughs> yeah. old school rock and roll vibe. I actually, um, when I saw them in 2011... Um, I got to interview uh, Roddy and Linville. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. And I mean, super, wow. super <laughs> nice guys. I would have been marble mouthed. Yeah. I, I'm not saying I did a good job. I just <laughs> you know, got to talk to them. That's cool. All right, man, let's move on to It's Up to You. I love how bassist Horace Panther's bass line just climbs right up into 
Golding's guitar stabs in the intro. I always love that. I always love that intro. Yeah, well, and, and also like this was this was the thing I, I saw them again uh, recently. I mean, you know, like a year or whatever ago, mm-hmm. um, whenever they last came around, and like, and and I thought about it again, like when I when I listen to this record is how much how much of what's going on here is just chorus like really like (laughs) like the i mean like yeah the lead guitarist like we've talked about the horns and stuff like that but like rhythmically it's just kind of locking down and the bass is almost the whole song yeah on most of these songs like Mm -hmm. the yeah the bass guitar is just doing all of the work and it's incredible like and and that's that was like that's been a real tone setter like I, i feel like a lot of ska music that has followed too is like okay just like hit some upstrokes on the guitar you know like whatever you want to do for leads cool but like the bass is the important part of a ska song and, it drives and I, it, yeah. I feel like i feel like that's really defined by horace because even in like the you know scottalites and like the early stuff like the, the bass stuff is is good but it's it's more like locking it down it's mm-hmm. there's more like riff based kind of like you know kind of like in jazz like it, it's it's holding it down like that was kind of the background that i i think that it came from uh-huh. but yeah. yeah by the time horace comes there he's like no, no 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 this whole song is essentially a bass solo that has some other things going on <laughs> and i love the lyrics to the song um so in addition to the great bass that stands out you've got these great lyrics uh i love the line stand there like park cars if you want to we can't force you to enjoy this music take it or leave it We'll carry on regardless. If you don't like it, you don't have to use it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I always yeah, love yeah. That. I, very direct. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a call for racial harmony. In addition to that, you know, they're saying it's up to you, you know, up to you. Black, it's up to you, up to you. White, it's up to you. It's up to you. Unite. And, you know, they're encouraging us to to come together. Neville actually even encourages us to take warning, which always, of course, reminds me, of op ivy that's probably where they got that um but yeah pretty cool song Uh, i like it a lot i love we were talking about guitar work earlier roddy definitely has some chuck berry style guitar leads that kind of go throughout the entire song he's just back there noodling away (laughs) this song like like rhythmically like sits like kind of weird against Mm. a lot of like there's a couple songs i i think it's like this one and like blank expression or like yep probably rhythmically like two of the weirdest ones mm-hmm. kind of has like a reggae vibe yeah yeah all right let's move on to nightclub Yeah, Nightclub is like probably for this record one of the one. I feel like this is one of the recordings that like stands up the most. All the thing, the criticisms I had about this record like apply the least to this song. Mm. Yeah, this is a fun one. I always like this one. This is one of the singles. Uh, this is one that is kind of fun because it fades in with the the crowd noise, like they're in a bar or something. <laughs> Yeah. Which is perfect because that's what the song is about. It's about the pointlessness of nightlife culture. It's it's obviously satirical. Rising up with guitar strums and trombone, Terry Hall asks, is this 
the place to be. What am I doing here? You know? <laughs> yeah. He's watching the girls go by, spending money. Um, and then I love in the song how they all shout, on. Being a musician, like I, I spend a lot of time out at bars and yeah. clubs and stuff like that. So I get it and I, I enjoy it. But, you know, it it is, it's about who you're with, you know? Right. And so <laughs> like, it's not about where you are, at least to me. I feel like this song captures that feeling of, I mean, obviously the narrator in this song is, is kind of made, like less like me and more somebody that's a little like desperate for human interaction. But yeah, but yeah, it, but the, the parody of this is, I think what I agree with where I'm like, well, why, why do we need to be here? Why does the drink need yeah. to be $15? <laughs> like you could buy yeah. it and go to your house. We could just hang out. Like I, that's true. It seems the yeah. same to me, but I guess, you want to be here where maybe some cute girl is going to walk by and that, that sure. won't happen at your house, I suppose. It's the scene and it's about being seen, you know? <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. I, it, yeah. I, I mean, and, and like, I, I am an extrovert, so I, I, I get that, but at the same time, mm-hmm. yeah, it's like, I, I don't know. I, I know a lot of people I like who I like. I'd rather just get them together. Right. Uh, yeah. I guess we just can't do any of these things anymore though. So that's right. <laughs> And, you know, though it seems like a song about bad beer and lousy clubs, you know, it's the special. So, of course, there's going to be an underlining bit, of, you know, a political edge to it. So bear with me here for a moment. When Terry okay. Hall sings, hey, hey, I don't work because I don't have to. I don't have to work. There's no work to do. He's actually speaking to the unemployment rate in England in the 1970s. Sure. After the 1973-74 oil price shock, the UK economy went into a huge recession during that time, causing the rise in unemployment that would really sort of give momentum to these kinds of feelings. Like, you know, I I can't work. I'm not going to work. After the 80-81 recession, unemployment rose even further. So this is right when this record came out. Unemployment in England was just so high. And the specials came from Coventry, which was a huge auto manufacturing city, kind of like Detroit. Sure. And so the motor industry was totally slumping in the 70s and 80s. And, you know, the very city that they were from saw very high levels of unemployment. So for me, that brings this song into a completely different context where I'm thinking about, you know, where they were in their heads when they were thinking about, you know, going out to clubs, spending money, maybe not spending money, you know, just the vibe of that time. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I it, That's interesting because I, I always took it to be more of um, like I, I never saw like uh, like Terry Hall or or or, uh, or any member of the band as being the narrator on this um, mm-hmm. and, and more of it being I always thought that was more of like a, the narrator on the song is like one of those rich kids that likes to be in the club. Aha. Uh-huh, yeah. You know? Oh uh, yeah. I don't have to work. Right. I've got plenty of money. Sure, right. Yeah. Exactly. And like, like I don't think, I think any city in the world at any time, there's always those people just around and like, they always create, they're such assholes and they always create such <laughs> mystique about, Oh, they're successful in some way. They, I don't know, like in LA, you know, they're, they're actors or musicians or models or whatever, but you know, wherever they are, it's like, Ooh, they, 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 they don't tell you that 
money is from mom and dad they they make it seem like they're important and they're special and they've somehow earned yeah. this place in society but they're just spoiled rich kids yeah definitely one more interesting fact about the song the song features chrissy hyde of the pretenders yeah. on backing vocals so that's pretty cool i did not know that that's yeah. really cool all right let's move on to doesn't make it all right just because there's a reason it doesn't mean it's understood it doesn't a laid-back sort of reggae tune about discrimination and i love terry hall's kind of like flat you know <laughs> sort of vocal delivery i mean it's effective but you know he's singing just because you're a black boy just because you're a white it doesn't mean you've got to hate him it doesn't mean you've got to fight you know the band encountered many racist skinheads throughout their career i mean there's whole big long articles and chapters and books about you know this the skinhead the the racist skinheads the non-racist skinheads in england you know all that trouble that followed madness around (laughs) and so this was definitely something that they were were thinking about according to the book the two-tone story cult violence was another aspect of the trouble that dogged the live band circuit throughout 1979 there were fights at mod gigs punk gigs and the like but most of the trouble seemed to be at gigs populated by the cropped hair fraternity. Racist skinheads and non-racist skinheads fought over football, territory, politics, the works. And they took on all comers for much the same reasons. Uh, you know, people outside the scene probably couldn't differentiate, you know, between skinheads, you know, which ones were, were racist, which sure, ones were yeah. non-racist. And a lot of times they got lumped together. You know, the London Evening News even ran the headline, Don't Rock with the Sig Healers, above a picture of the multiracial band The Selector, <laughs> which I discovered. And I was just like, oh, man, someone clearly didn't get it, you know? Right, right, right. All right, man, let's take a look at Concrete Jungle. Yeah. The intro to the song is that very popular, like clap, 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 clap. I love that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Just <laughs> it always gets like, me pumped up. That it seems like one of those things that must have like evolved at the live gigs. Oh, totally. You know totally. that like had nothing to do with anything, but like they just kind of, it just kind of having fun. The song was actually written by guitarist Roddy Radiation Byers, and you can totally tell because of all the rocking '50s style guitar throughout the song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> He also takes the lead vocal on this one, uh, though Terry sang it live. So any video you see, it's it's Terry singing, but the recording is actually Roddy singing it. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. And I'm not sure if he was just shy or, or maybe he thought because there was so much going on guitar-wise, like he didn't want to have to try to sing it and play it, uh, but he doesn't do it live. He never did it live. That is interesting. Yeah, like I would understand it more if it was kind of the other way around where like you know elvis or somebody at the label had said like hey man like there, there's already a voice in fact there's two voices yeah yeah <laughs> like you know people are here to hear somebody and and you're you're not right. it you can sing it live <laughs> but you know the record it's got to be so it's interesting it's reversed on that 
Yeah. Yeah, you've got two guys whose specific role in this band is to sing. <laughs> yeah, and they, like, and they don't, because neither of those guys, like, Terry doesn't play anything. Did Neville ever play anything? I think he just sang, right? No, nah, he'd shake, like, I don't know, he, he, he was usually holding something, but. Like a, yeah. A like a, or a shaker, but. A percussion thing, yeah, but, like, they weren't, like, playing another guitar or keyboard or yeah. something, so. So, yeah, it's, yeah. Like, it's like, if you sing the song, what are they going to do? right <laughs> maybe yeah. that's why maybe that's why it happened probably like terry, a, a terry stage was like, decision well, if you're gonna sing this one i'll just go sit out the back and then everyone thought that was weird and roddy was like you know you can sing it live the song is pretty consistent with the band's uh message about racial violence uh-huh. uh, they sing i have to carry a knife because there's people threatening my life i can't dress just the way i want i'm being chased by the national front so there they are you know, mentioning the National Front again, this was clearly something that was on their minds during this time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, let's move on to Too Hot. So this was originally recorded by Prince Buster in 1966. That yeah, that makes sense because like there's no way that Coventry was ever too hot. <laughs> like I have yeah. I have done UK tours. Uh, yeah. I, I've been out there and like look, you guys might have one day a year that it's too hot, but there ain't enough time to write a song about it. Right. <laughs> the one day. <laughs> yeah. This one's cool because, you know, it features the dual vocal attack of Terry and Neville. You know, again, they're singing about the troublesome rude boy like gangsters. But, you know, I don't know. This one is not probably one of my my favorite tracks on the record. Maybe it worked really well as a live staple. Um, In fact, you know, I've actually heard live versions, you know, where the pace of the song is bumped up just a little bit. I feel like that's all it really needed is just a little increase in tempo. And it, it makes her, in my opinion, a more lively more more exciting song yeah i mean like absolutely like that is what i think is wrong with a lot of this record like so yeah. much too slow i mean yeah, even nightclub is faster live than the record but like yeah the record version is fast enough for it to work like most of this record it's seriously like 20 30 beats per minute faster like live mm-hmm. it's like significant have you ever checked out the live at the moonlight club from 1979 it's on spotify and I just feel like, yeah, we, we, we're talking about these songs and the live versions. That live record is a great example of, you know, these songs being bumped up a few beats, you know? Yeah. They just have bite, you know? They have a little bit more excitement to them. Well, and, and it's it's cool, too, because, like, uh, uh, it makes me wish that I was I was there because, uh, mm. I mean, like, there, there are very few live recordings where, like, the actual, you know, the live recording is actually, like, a good enough recording to to really work i i think there's probably a lot of like <laughs> grateful dead fans that would argue with me on that but but yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I, think, I think the live recording yeah is about like it's like a photograph of a really cool thing that you wish you were at it gives you a sense of it but it's not like being there of course yeah but yeah like it, those recordings and when i compare them to when i've seen the specials because like seeing the specials now Terry sounds a little bit like he does on the record. Like you strongly get the sense that Terry wishes he wasn't there, Um, (laughs) which is like, 
kind of a fun vibe for the band somehow, like just this totally disaffected front man. Yeah. But yeah. Those live recordings from back then, it's like, oh my gosh, he, he wanted to be there. Like, yeah, a lot of fun. Let's flip this record over and take yeah. a look at side B. Starts off with Monkey Man. Classic cover. Great song. Yeah, this was a hit in the UK for uh, Toots and the Maytels, who are definitely one of my favorite groups. Love Toots. Love all the, I mean, so many bands have done this song. Real Big Fish, no doubt. Even Amy Winehouse has a version of this song. You know, there's not a lot to it. It's just fun. Just a fun song to sing along to. It's just wacky. I I think the, the simplicity of it really is like what makes it work so well. There's so much room to kind of mess with it and like whatever style, yeah. like honestly, like Slipknot could probably do a version of that song and it would work. <laughs> I want to hear it. Apparently a monkey man is what they call bouncers. Um, so <laughs> to start, you perfect. can actually hear the band send the song out to, you can hear them send it out to the bouncers <laughs> on the record. This one is for all the bouncers. Big, big monkey man. That's so funny. Yeah. So. Uh, yeah, that, I mean, that, that makes a lot of sense. Like, uh, you know, and yeah, I, I I always think that when I, when I hear this, song of course uh for my probably your generation by the sound of it uh our introduction to the song which is you know real big fish playing it and it appearing of course in the rugrats movie was it the rugrats i was trying to think of what i was like wild thornberries rugrats i don't even know wild thornberries you could be right was it (laughs) but it's something like that but they're like in the jungle i'm gonna look it up oh man movie yeah what movie is it in Oh, you're right. It's a Wild Thornberries movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm embarrassed that I know that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, dude, you nailed it. That's funny. Oh, wow. I forgot all about that. That's so funny. Dude, when Ska was everywhere. Yeah. Movie soundtracks, commercials. What a time to be alive. I know. I have no problem with that. You know, I was I was one of the people who was like cheering Scott on. I was like, yes, people should be listening to this. I'm so glad that it's everywhere. And then all of a sudden it was nowhere. And I was like, oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, and, and then I, I, you know, I solved my own personal problem with that by getting to make every one of those bands videos and, and yeah. you know, shows with them. I was like, I'm just going to be around. Like, stay involved. Hell yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's move on to Dawning of a New Era. Such a good song. This is an awesome song. It's just an upbeat ska tune. It's got kind of funny... uh, kind of funny word like lyrics too it's it's like this dystopian society yeah yeah <laughs> where people are depraved and separated by by areas you know <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah it's kind of funny he's talking about meeting a girl the band explains had to walk her home through area six this is the dawning of a new era sticks and stones may break my bones in area six they throw bottles and bricks and kicks so uh 
you know, it's a bit lighthearted and they're talking about breaking into a, like a, an, like a flat or an apartment, you know, drunk, falling asleep, only to wake up and realize that they're actually in area seven. So they're not even where they thought they were. Um, you know, just kind of a weird, kind of a weird song, but a lot of fun. Yeah. Like I, I it kind of gives me vibes of like a, like a, and I know they're not from there, but like a, a Northern Ireland kind of thing, you know, oh, like, yeah, Delta, yeah. like you have the city broken up into the different, sections based on right. who you are it's like uh-oh like you're in the wrong part of town fun song and you know like a lot of these songs it's got the big you know the big sing-along chorus and you know it must have been a lot of fun to just bust the so- song out and have like the whole crowd chanting it back you know dawning of a new era yeah and, and like i mean you know for like for music like this was like this this was the dawning of a new era and and I feel like I can't think of where, but like this song, I feel like has gotten some placement in like television and film, right? Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. Like it, it, it just, it fits that vibe so well. Mm-hmm. All right, let's move on to blank expression. Snow is falling all around. Seven o'clock and the roads are blocked. So I walk down town. There's no one Speaking of vibes, this one uh, starts off with like Christmas bells or something. <laughs> I guess it's trying to capture like a wintry image um, in this one. Yeah, and it's it's super weird. Like rhythmically, they have those like those like callbacks that like where where did you get that blank blank? Yeah, yeah. If I recall, I think it's like kind of stereo split or something too. It's like like mm-hmm. one of them's like in one ear and one's in the other or something. But like, yeah. and and the timing on it's so weird. It's like the callback guy is just late on everything, and it like yeah, like I'm not sure who's singing which part, but it, it sounds so like yeah. I don't know. It's it's a very interesting approach they took with this one. Well, I've watched videos of the song, and yeah, I've seen. Neville doing that. I've seen Roddy doing the backup vocals, but you know, you've mentioned a few times on this podcast already that Terry Hall just like stands there with this like blank expression on his face yeah. in these videos. And you know, the whole band is like jumping around and dancing behind him. And he is like a statue. Um, I actually saw it was on ABC news uh, around, I think it was like 2010 and the the interviewer actually asked him if he was biologically capable of smiling and terry actually responded he, you know he kind of smirked and he said i never felt it was necessary <laughs> but you know in the same interview he later went on to kind of explain that he would eventually get diagnosed as a manic depressive that makes a lot of sense yeah and bringing the specials back together again recently they did they just did that album encore yeah uh, it was actually a really big, like, therapeutic step for him oh. um, to kind of like balance himself out. So yeah, it's 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 kind of interesting when you when you know that, that context and you look at old videos of him where he's just up there, like frozen uh, on stage, just staring off into space. Really? Yeah. I mean, the few times I've seen them in recently, you know, that's that is how it's been. But then also, yeah. I mean, you hear those other performances where he's all over the place. So, Speaking of personalities, you know, we haven't really talked a whole lot about Jerry Dammers, who was the chief songwriter. Um, he wrote this one. And, you know, while they have a lot of songs about race and politics, every once in a while you get a, 
a painful breakup song. And that's what I think this one is. He's talking about bumping into his ex at a club. You know, he's talking about, he's saying, you look at me, girl, as if I was some kind of total stranger. And it's almost like her indifference to, to him, like bumping into him right. and just kind of walking yeah. away is what, what hurts him the most. <laughs> Who hasn't been there? You, you run into somebody you were once close with in some way out in public and uh, they either pretend not to see you or you pretend not to see them. He was an interesting character. He was really the main force behind the band yeah, at the and, time. You know, and I know the least about him because he's right. not been with the band I like since I've been alive, I guess. So, yeah. Like, but I know that he's really important, you know, like people talk about him and like the, the two-tone label, like, do you know anything right. about like, what's his deal? Why is he not with the band anymore? Like, what is he up to? Well, it's funny you should mention that because you were talking a lot about Ghost Town yeah. earlier and that's a very experimental song and that was his deal. Like he wanted to keep pushing, you know, the experimental sound of the band and he, I guess he got too weird for the band. You know, he's kind of a weird guy as it is. He was missing those two front teeth. I don't know if you've ever seen yeah, pictures of him. Yeah. He'd always like, you know, have that big grin with those two missing teeth in the front and I guess he just got too out there, too experimental for the band and... Uh, eventually ended up parting ways with the band. I don't know, either to focus on two-tone. I know that he took issue with, you know, how big the band got and mm. how big two-tone was getting. Like, it was kind of out of his control. And he just kind of, I don't want to say imploded with the whole thing, but he just be kind of kind of came reclusive. and He's, he's the, the artiste. Of yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, you know, it, it's, it's funny because I... I always pegged that for, I mean, and now with the information you've given me, it makes sense, but I always pegged mm. Terry for being that guy because like, mm. like, mm -hmm. you know, he, he, I know that he was part of the reason the band didn't get back together for a long time because he didn't want to do it. Right. Yeah, he was like, out of the they, band after the second album. They tried it without him at some point. I think like, like the Neville Staple era, there was like, there was like that revival that Neville Staple did, which yeah, like, yep. I almost got to see. And, uh, yeah. And, and, and so I always thought that, and then the fact that he so clearly doesn't want to be there on stage. So I, I always figured it was him that <laughs> sort of the like withdrawn recluse, but that's interesting. It's, it's Dammers. Okay. Or maybe both. Yeah. All right. Let's move on to stupid marriage. Order. My name is George Roughneck. And I will not tolerate any disobedience in my courtroom. Rude boy, you have been brought in front of me and shall be smashing this woman's window. This song draws from Prince Buster's hit Judge Dredd, where Prince Buster acts the part of Judge Dredd presiding over court. <laughs> in this updated version by the specials, Neville Staple plays the role of the judge, and he's, you know, Jeff, Judge Roughneck. And I love how he's talking in the background and he's just uh, talking along and the background vocals are like, he's tough, he's tough. <laughs> <laughs> it's so, it's a funny song. I mean, he's like handing down his, you know, his summons over the, the sky rhythm. It's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just fun. You know, it sort of depicts the, the courtroom testimony of an ex-girlfriend's, uh, you know, smashed window and, you know, the band is sort of poking fun at marriage and you know their own emotional impulses um there's a line he thinks that she'll be happy when she's hanging out the nappies 
if that's a happy marriage, I'd prefer to be unhappy. (laughs) (laughs) Again, just kind of like a fun, lighthearted take on that song. No, yeah. uh, Again, this is, I think, maybe the other one um, on this record that is like, again, like still objectively a good song, but a low point on the record for me. Right. But, uh, but yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's good. It's more of like, uh, it's recognized mostly for the novelty of the whole, you know, judge sequence. I mean, it's got a cool like keyboard part in it, but other than that, yeah, it's not really. But yeah, like, like it, it is, I mean, it is a little different for them as far as being like a linear narrative and stuff too. Like there, there's songs that they do well at are a little more, uh, what do I want to say? Like environmental in scope, like painting a, a picture as opposed to telling a story. Right. Yeah. All right. Let's move on to too much, too young. So, Chris, this is a song I absolutely love, but I don't love this version. <laughs> I I feel the same way. I love the song. It just goes on too long, I think. It's very long. Yeah. It, it, it doesn't go. It's great when they shave it down to the two minutes yeah. that they got it down to for the EP that they released after this record came out but this version is like six minutes and yeah i love it but it definitely gets repetitive yeah because it just kind of it's like every time you hit that turnaround the bow 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 you're like oh my yeah. gosh we're going again like, <laughs> here it comes again yeah yeah no i'm not sure I mean, why they made it so long i it must have been one of those like dance hall like remix versions you know what i mean mm. like like yeah. like there's all those like there's like the seven minute long version of I'm too sexy and stuff like that that like yeah, yeah. actually wants to listen to but it's like for the DJs to be able to spin and work in. I think you're right because yeah you're right people someone some you know suit must have said hey you gotta you gotta stretch this one out it's got a good groove it's danceable people want to dance to it if you make it two minutes it's gonna be over before people can get into it and they right. must have been like all right well we'll make it six minutes long but. <laughs> In reality, it just, it's too, it's too repetitive. And yeah. I love the song, you know, I, I love the song. That's definitely my theory is that, is that it's some, it's some sort of like DJ thing. Like, cause yeah, yeah. there's, there's, there's no, there's no way anybody heard this and was like, yeah, this, no, I keep going. Yeah. <laughs> Let's add an additional four minutes to this thing. Yeah. But again, so good for like two minutes. Yeah, I love it on the EP. It's great. Yeah. Anyway, it's a song that tells the story of a teenage mother. It's essentially the 1969 song by Lloyd Chalmers called Birth Control. He was actually kind of a controversial artist. He had a lot of, I guess, you know, coarse language for the late 60s. So a lot of his music probably went unheard. But the the specials kind of bring out their their version, their rendition of, of that song. The specials keyboardist Jerry Dammers, you know, speeds up the tempo a little bit, changes the lyrics, and now all of a sudden you've got, you know, a brand new song. The lyrics talk about a gal who has had a child early on, and she's the object of songwriter Jerry Dammers' affection. He states, now you're married with a kid when you could be having fun with me. The band want nothing to do with the Pickney, or, or kid. <laughs> Pickney is the 
slang for kid in in uh, England. Okay, you know, yeah, that makes sense. It's just kind of a kind of a fun song. I love the line, ain't he cute? No, he ain't. He's just another burden on the welfare state. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, and this is definitely one of those songs where it's like, it's awesome. And I, I think we all feel that thing, but also like, just because somebody gets married has like the, the person he's disrespecting in the song is, is probably this. I think the subtext here is that that person is probably much more mature and, and more mm. balanced in their life than, than yeah. our narrator is. Which is fun, but again, also we've all felt the way that this narrator feels, but mm-hmm. also, yeah, I, I, there's nothing wrong with with getting married and having a kid. So the English version of this record does not have this next song on it. I have the U.S. version, and I'm glad it's here. Gangsters. Yeah, I was looking at the track listing and I was like, wait, like, where's Gangsters? Right. So it's only on the US version? Yeah, they didn't really. It was a single in the UK and they didn't include it on the album. But luckily, you know, they realized this is a great song. They put it on the US version, which came out in 1980. Yeah, no, I mean, it's 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 a really good song. Recently, this summer, Bite Me Bambi uh, did it as a cover song that I helped do for like one of their little live stream show things. Oh, really? That's awesome. I'll have to check that out. It's a reworking of the Prince Buster instrumental titled Al Capone. Uh, the screeching breaks that you hear at the beginning of the tune is actually the same sound sample from the original. They just lifted it right off the original and put it into theirs. <laughs> All right. Got away with it, I hope. But anyway, this was the first song recorded for the album. Um, it was a single that got off to a really rocky start. So there's kind of a cool story behind this song. The band had been trying to record Nightclub, but couldn't quite capture the vibe they were looking for. Original drummer, uh, I I, I lost his first name, Hutchinson, had recently quit the band. So Jerry Dammers turned to his roommate, John Bradbury, for a quick fill-in. Problems continued to mount as... The piano part that they were trying to record took up most of the studio time and they didn't have enough money to record, you know, a second song to go on the B side of the single. That's why if you actually find the original single of the song, the selector are on the B side. It's not a, mm-hmm. another special song. They actually put another band, the selector on the B side. Come up for Pauline, huh? Yeah. This song is fascinating because it stems from a bizarre event that took place in France. The band had signed on with the Clash manager, Bernie Rhodes, who then sent the band to France to sort of whip them into road shape. And according to the specials on their website, in a feature called The True Story Behind the Specials' First Single, (laughs) once they reached the hotel, uh, this beautiful woman came in with two large men and asked if the band was from England. And when they said they were, she proceeded to blame them for damages to her hotel that were actually caused by the band The Damned. (laughs) (laughs) Apparently, one of the men grabbed guitarist Linville Golding's guitar and wouldn't give it back unless the band paid for the damages. Eventually, folks from the club straightened everything out. And according to Golding, the song's intro, Bernie Rhodes' Knows Don't Argue, is for Bernie. And 
they can't interrupt while I'm talking or they'll confiscate all your guitars comes from that hotel incident. All right, that makes sense. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I have always been confused by the narrative on this because like, I, yeah. I couldn't tell what direction it was coming from. And that makes sense. There's a lot of references to this event, which was, you know, kind of just a closed event <laughs> to the band and the people involved. But, uh, you know, Golding throws in the line, they use the law to commit crime. And this is basically what these, these like gangsters, these people were doing. They were, they were going to call the police on the, the specials and, you know, get them in trouble, you know, just by using the law on their side because right. there was yeah, yeah, yeah. established, you know, hotel in, in France. And I guess it was just a big, a big mess. Luckily it got straightened out, but. Wait, you're telling me that there's people out there with money that can use <laughs> police to do the wrong thing? They're out there. Unfathomable. Wow. They're out there, man. You I gotta, so much today. <laughs> you gotta watch out. <laughs> All right, let's move on to Little Bitch. Yes, here's the problematic song. One, two! If you This one is problematic. You know, when I first got into this record, this was actually one of my favorite songs on it. I just, I love the energetic pace of the song, you know, the sharp guitar sound, the way the great horn line kind of rises up, dodging between the lines. I mean, just thinking about it right now, I'm like rocking in my seat. Oh, yeah. You know, and though I still love the instrumental, (laughs) I do cringe when... He refers to the woman in the song as a little bitch. Right, yeah. And like, you know, obviously like that's a, you know, problematic word that we don't really say anymore today. Yeah, I don't think it's about women in general. I've never really picked this one apart, but yeah, I mean, it's just a derogatory term for women. Yeah, I, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna defend it. You know, I mean, you, every everything that you've said, you know, obviously right. <laughs> true. Uh, I think Rancid was obviously inspired by the song when they wrote the verses to Time Bomb. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Big D's version of this song is incredible. Oh, that's right. Yeah, they do have a cover of this one. Yeah, I do really like this recording, but I think that might be mostly because I have seen it live now. My earliest memories of this recording was comparing it to Big D's version, and I liked Big D's version a lot more back then. But now I like them equally, but differently. But it just Big D's version is so wild and so fun. And it's really version, tight. It's really you know, sharp. Yeah. Sticks a little straighter and, and on the beat. Like, I mean, like yep. the criticism I've had of this record the, the whole time. But like Big D's version is probably a little more faithful to like the specials is live version. But, you know, obviously taking it further because it's done 20 some years later. All right, let's close it down with You're Wondering Now. You're wondering now what to do. Now you know this is the end. You're wondering how you open. Yeah, like what an excellent outro, you know? What a great closer. Yeah, I love this as a closer. <laughs> This was previously done by the Scatolites with Doreen Schaefer on vocals. The yeah. song actually dates back to 1966 by the Jamaican songwriters Ruben Anderson and Joanne Dennis, or as they were known, Andy and Joey. So it's a well-known, well-traveled song, and it's very fitting. 
at the conclusion of this phenomenal record. Especially like after Little Bitch, like, you know, yeah. <laughs> it, the whole thing builds all the way up to, to that. And then just like, this is like exit music, you know, it's like, Oh, totally. Like, all right, everybody go home. You're wondering now. Playing you off the stage. Yeah, yeah. It's an amazing placement. Curtain has fallen. Now you're on your own. I won't return. Forever you await. (laughs) Yeah, and like, I think this is one of the songs that like plays well at the tempo it's at. It doesn't need to be fast. It doesn't need to be. Yeah. Yeah, this is probably another one of the ones where this recording is like very good. Like it doesn't. It doesn't suffer as much, I think, as the rest of the record. Good closer. Great album. Let's take a quick look at the artwork for the the record. I mean, it's it's just an iconic album oh, cover. Yeah. It's got the, the group. It simply displays a, a checkboard, checkered board at the top. It's got the title, specials. You got the band in monochrome. So many, like, things that set the vibe, like like, about the image for this band. You know, it's like black and white. Cause, and the band is black and white and two-tone is about black and white and here's the checkers. Mm-hmm. I know in the, the Ska movie, uh, that Pick It Up Ska in the 90s movie. Yeah, great movie. Somebody in it says that the checker thing is, was some like tape that was on Jerry Dammers' scooter. Yeah, yep. <laughs> and then like go figure that. It's such a funny like, origin the story. The symbol for your band and more than the symbol for your band, the symbol for an entire genre of music decades down the line. Like how incredible. Great symbolism, you know, the unity, black right. and white. It's really cool. And it's cool that they sort of, you know, were nodding to the early, you know, 60s uh, Jamaican ska and reggae. You know, they were on this cover basically sort of, you know, telling the world that you know, all the trademarks of, of, of ska are here and reggae are here. Uh, but now, you know, we're kind of bringing it uh, to this day and age, you know. Yeah. Artwork A+. All right, so Chris, in closing, according to allmusic.com, the special's debut album is like a newscast delivered through a hybrid of ska and reggae with a punk attitude, all from the confines of a small pub in Coventry. Even when the subject of one of their songs is packed with information and astute observations, you never lose sight of the fact that it was, it's was it been one hell of an enjoyable ride thus far. George Marshall describes the band in the two-tone story as ska with balls, to coin the phrase. The sentiment and noise of punk was thrown into a Molotov cocktail of highly infectious ska, and all you needed was a record player to light the spark. And I really can't think of any better way to describe this phenomenal record, this influential record that the specials made in the closing years of the 1970s. Yeah. I mean, uh, nothing to add here. Chris, I'd like to thank you so much for for hanging out with me today and talking about the specials. Tell me a little bit about your projects, the videos you've made, and the music that you're working on. It's been a thrill to talk ska with you tonight. Yeah, no, it's, uh, everybody should talk a lot more ska in general. <laughs> it's so glad I'm so glad to hear that you're of the ilk that you know ska never went away. You know, you stayed involved. I mean, there's been a lot of great ska over the years, um, you know, whether people pay, uh, paid attention to it or not. I'm super excited to see that people are sort of getting excited about Ska a little bit again. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's It's been a good year uh, attention-wise. I mean, probably because of the way that shows shut down and that everything depended so much on the community, which 
I mean, even more like punk also has a great community attached to it. It's a little bit bigger. It's a little bit broader. And ska is like, ska is such an interesting and small and tight community that it was, it was really easy for every band to just sort of reach across the country and across the world and start collaborating and helping each other. So it's right. Well, cool, man. Thank you. I'd like to thank the two tone story by George Marshall, a great book. You should definitely pick it up. Um, I'd like to thank the specials website, the two tone website. I'd like to thank Krista makes for the theme music. I'd like to thank my man Craig for the graphics and I'd like to thank all of you for tuning into Talking Records each week and listening to us break down these records. We do it because we love these records and we hope that bringing a little bit more context and information on these records makes your next listen an even better one. All right, Chris, anything to promote before we go? You can check out all my stuff on uh, chrisgrau.com. There's the regular social media things, Spotify, blah, 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 music videos on YouTube. Highly recommend. Uh, I stream on Twitch. I fix old video game consoles on the internet. I don't know if you'd ever want to watch that, but you can send me (laughs) consoles and I can try to fix them. That's part of the fun. Wow, there you go. That's awesome, man. (laughs) All right, Chris, take care. All right.